Hello, friends, and welcome to Daily Bible Reading, where we are chronologically reading through the Bible in one year, and we are doing some more in-depth studies by request when the Lord leads. And right now, we're finishing up, or we're completing, we're continuing, that's the right word, we are continuing in our study of Revelation Picking up in chapter 2, verse 12, here with Michael Mishkin. Mike, how are you doing today? Doing good. How you doing? Awesome. Doing, doing good. Other than getting tongue-tied and not being able to find the right word, which is perfect for a podcast. <laughs> so let's just dive right in. Chapter 2, verse 12. All right. Well, we left off at the church, ecclesia, congregation of Pergamum. And I'll just start off by reading and we can then start chewing in. So verse 12, the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith. Even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you because you have there some who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of immorality. Thus you have this, you have some who in the same way hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, or else I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them. With the sword of my mouth, he who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on it, the white stone which no one knows but the one who receives it. So there's a lot there, as we can see. And I think one of the things that we've talked about previously, again, in Revelation, you need to have a good understanding of the whole Bible before you could really approach this book. Because here you could just see he's bringing up subjects, um, Balaam, Balak, I believe that's in uh, Numbers, what went on there, that whole story there. Um, talking about even the Nicolaitans, uh, that's a little ex extra outside of the Bible study to know who the Nicolaitans were. Um, and he's also talking about the hidden manna, which, you know, we're familiar with manna in the wilderness with Moses and the people of Israel. So he's relating it to that. So we have to understand here, he's dealing with this Pergamum, this congregation, this ecclesia, these called out people, and he's challenging them by saying He's the one with the sharp two-edged sword. And it's he knows where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. So we need to know a history on that. I mean, Pergamum, you know, is that a literal place? Or is that, obviously, it's not a literal place where Satan's sitting there on a throne going, oh, here I am. Or there's an understanding perspective from God's perspective where this is like, you know, ground zero where Satan is operating. Um, I mean, what do you see in there? I mean, any thoughts that you have? I wonder, I, I wonder about the meaning of the word Pergamum, or is that, I, did, I think clearly it's a physical place, as is often the case in scripture. There's a physical person, like a literal human being, or there's a physical place, a city with a specific name, but then there's also a symbolic and a spiritual meaning of what that place represents. Um, and a lot of times it's given to us in the name. Would you agree and that, with that? I agree. And that's, again, that's another key to study is always breaking down the words, you know, examining a name, breaking down the etymology, which is the study of the words, where they come from, the origin, to see if there is something giving us a hint to what that what that's trying to give us here so yeah we should look into that uh i offhand don't have that i don't know if you could pull that up as a separate thing 
as we yeah, so I'm just that. I'm looking at the uh, in the Strong's Concordance, Pergamum. It, it is translated fortified. The Greek word pergos is a tower, like a tower of a castle, a fortified structure. Um, Which is good. I mean, you know, I'm glad that actually we do this together here rather than, you know, whoever's listening, taking our word for it. It means this, it means that this is a part of study. And this is really what we want to get at when we're looking at this book. I, again, we're not trying to throw people all the information. No, it means this, it means that. But we want to help people as they observe us in our discussion, how to chew into scripture, how to carefully observe and how to glean information. So it was good that we actually did that together there, breaking down the word. And we could see uh, Yeshua's challenge to them. He, you know, when he's addressing them, it's the sharp two-edged sword. You know, it's spoken of in scripture. I believe you brought up Hebrews, how he says that the word of God is like a two-edged sword, that it, you know, it, it slices and cuts between soul and spirit and bone and marrow, as it says, or different translations. So it's showing you, uh, an analogy or a metaphor for the word of God being like a sword. So he's, he uses that in his description when he's addressing them, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword, um, bringing up Satan, and he starts to explain what he has against them. There are some amongst you that are holding to the teaching of Balaam, who was teaching Balak to put stumbling blocks in front of the people of God. I like to take the people of Israel and say people of God. So it sort of helps to see not just them, but to see how God views us. So people are selling out. People are, um, Balaam was a man for hire, you know, okay, give me money and I'll give you what it takes to, you know, put stumbling blocks in front of people you know, cause issues, you know, I know that it may not be an intentional thing, but there's people who are selling out the gospel, the good news, the understanding of the kingdom. And that's really what we got to illustrate. I mean, when Yeshua went into the temple and flipped over tables, he said, this is my house, you know, my house should be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. And he started flipping over tables, made cords of whips, chased everybody out. So the idea was the the, the kingdom of God given to Moses and to the people of Israel was to be a sacred place where people would approach God with their hearts in prayer. And yet here they got all these money changers. People are buying and selling and whatever. So they turned it into a business. They turned it into a, not just a religious following, but now how they can make money off of it. And the word of God should not be something that's made money off of, you know, yeah. barring the idea of, supporting people who are working for you to help you for the kingdom the kingdom of god the understanding should be freely given there's no okay let me sell you a book i mean i i know people have their different things and that's between them and god but for me the way i see it you know if i have information that can help people to understand god better i'm not gonna sell it now unfortunately a lot of human beings don't understand you know, they, they don't realize and something of value unless they have to pay for it. And that's a problem. But it's also yeah. because they can't distinguish, you know, they can't really discern what's true. So there are there are millions of books out there that will not help anybody grow spiritually that are written by famous pastors uh, of today and of the past. And yet to be written, there are millions of books out there that are not helping anybody and that are actually help, helping lead people astray. Um, and, you know, some of these some of these big churches. They will. There's a there's a system to getting your book on the New York Times bestseller list. And then once, once it has that stamp on it, then everybody thinks that they need to read it because it's sold so many copies. It must be loved and widely accepted and so a lot of times these these mega church pastors will just recycle their sermons you put them you know each sermon is a chapter in a book you have 12 or 15 chapters you put them into to a book they're often a lot of times they're put together by people it's, it's probably not even the, the pastor who's doing it um it's it's 
And then these churches have millions and millions of dollars. The churches buy 100,000 copies of the book on the day it's released at 2, 2 a.m. And boom, it's the number one selling book in the nation at that moment. And all of a sudden, it gets all of these accolades for being so widely accepted. And then the church turns around and sells the, the books to um, its congregants. <laughs> it's, it, it's, a, it's crazy. It's a, it's a business. And certainly not every church is a business. Um, my, my pendulum swung far in one direction at one point when I was very um, against organized religion and organized churches. And I've, I've kind of swung back towards the center a little bit. I, I know that there are some good ones out there and I know that there are some bad ones out there. Um, but definitely, 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 if you are in a place where um, you are being told to give because the Bible says so, um, just, I just can I request that you prayerfully consider whether or not that's, that's God or if you're being manipulated. Um, and remember what the manipulation is. It's not that something is totally untrue. It's just the, the core that goes back to God, the core understanding is what's manipulated. It comes from a basis of truth. You know, I mean, you know, they use tithing in the churches. They go back to Malachi and they use the whole thing about how, you know, they're supposed to give a tenth to the priests and all of that. There's a there's a true and a false to certain things that are done. But this is what this is part of what it's addressing here is manipulations of things of the truth. Balaam came along helping to put a stumbling block of the people of God. Um, even more so, those stumblings went to as far as the to the sexual immorality that it's talking about, committing acts of sexual morality and eating things sacrificed to idols. There we think literally, um, and in certain aspects as a literal, but as a spiritual, eating things sacrificed to idols is taking into yourself, and I think we discussed this a little bit about the whole meaning of eating. When you're eating, you're taking it, it's becoming part of you. There's a deeper understanding. That's why there was the dietary laws in the in the Torah of the first five books of Moses about the people of God not eating certain things. But the spiritual understanding of that is what's that's trying to get at, you know, the split hoof and the and the chewing of the cup. Split hoof meaning you're walking in two worlds at the same time. Chewing of the cud is meditating on the word of God continually, like David said in chapter one of Psalms. Um and they're also committing action of sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is a big abomination because it's an act of it's it's represents idolatry um you know all the different forms of sexual immorality have a different expression of idolatry idolatry is going to some other way that you like to have or some other god that you would think but it's actually taking god a certain way that you want it which is making a finite form out of the infinite god so here we have this congregation being addressed by the lord as in previous ones this is what he had against pergamum certain issues and he was giving a threat you know if you don't overcome you know he's gonna you know he's gonna give a retribution but for those who overcome he's gonna give the hidden manna well what hidden manna is so is there some place that we can go and get some oh there it is there's some manna that's hidden there Oh, thank you. I can have some, as I said, it was like honey wafers uh, in there. Oh, good. I get some hidden honey wafers. Or is he talking about some deeper spiritual understanding of what the manna represented in the wilderness? The, the sustenance of the word of God that was given to the people of God every day that they fed on it. They were living off the word of God. Right. So in other words, the people who are carnally minded and who are unwilling to give up their sexual immorality, the, the other things that are pleasing to their flesh. Like it's, it's a lot of Christians today, um, a lot of churchgoers today who, um, okay, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to pray. I might even read my Bible once or twice a week or however often um, I'm going to pass out gospel tracts. I'm going to do it. And I'm still going to look at porn or I'm still going to, sleep around or what whatever fill in the blank um homosexuality just again not to 
not to shame anybody, not to put anybody down for uh, their own desires that they have. We all, we all have different desires that cause us to fall short of the glory of God. The, the thing is we have to give those things over. And for, for those who are carnally minded, who are saying, God accepts me the way I am because God made me this way, they're going to be incapable of perceiving the hidden truths of the word, the hidden truths of God. Is it, is that a fair assessment of what you're trying to say? I think that was actually a very good explanation that you gave there. Um, you know, and you, you started with the obvious ones. Those are the easy ones uh, for us to look at those kinds of things with porn. That's an easy, I mean, and why is that? It's, it's not because, you know, oh, I'm so dirty. It, it puts your mind into a deep carnal state. The carnal man cannot discern the things of the kingdom. So if you're in that deep carnal state and you're continually in that deep carnal state, you can't operate in the kingdom of God. It's just, you know, it's like a fish trying to operate out of water. You know, if you want to go and operate on land, well, you're going to have to dwell and live in the man, the person, the, the vehicle that can operate on the land. That's the simplicity, practicality of, you know, it's not, ooh, gasp, oh my God, how could you do this disgusting? You know, it is disgusting on an overall thing, but it's the practical aspect of it that really comes down to it's, it's a differentiation of who God is and being like him and being one with him. You can't be one with him if you're a carnal man, that the two don't mix. Therefore, he sends his son to die so that if we walk in the same way, we die to that carnal man and become more like him. And then we can relate to his mind. That's the simple practical aspect of this thing. So for those who are believing these lies that are perpetuated in the church, then there's the hidden stuff. I mean, a lot of people on here who's going to listen to this alone, let alone you go into most churches, you say these messages that every, the first thing is, that's not me. But guess what? It's you. You know? I'm the guy who's going to tell you it's you not to hurt you because it's me too. It's all of us. We have idols. We follow things that we think are true, but the results, the fruit don't pan out and we make excuses for it rather than saying, Hey God, what am I doing wrong here? And letting God correct us. That's the, the kingdom of God is exactly that. God, what am I doing wrong here? What's going on? You know, the goal of the kingdom is peace. So if we have turmoil in our life, as good as you might be, there's doors open. You're letting something in. And it yeah. says in the word that we should not let the enemy have a foothold, which means don't open right. the door so his foot can start coming in there. But we don't think we are. We think we're all which, good. I, and I, I love that verse. I love that you brought that up, Mike, because the first part of that says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And we hear that one in marriage counseling all the time, right? But the next part of that verse is don't give Satan a foothold. So there's a link there between those two ideas. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give Satan a foothold. We are the United States of the offended these days. Everybody's <laughs> offended. How dare you, uh, you know, call me a woman because I have breasts. Like, are you kidding me? And you're going to be offended by that. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And so we're focusing on offense. We're focusing on the challenges that we're having, and we don't want to change. We don't want anybody to offend us, and therefore, boom. Well, that's exactly it. I mean, you know, the fact that we even have to discuss those kinds of offenses in this day and age should have everyone on their heightened alarm, five-alarm fire, because... Do you really think it's just going to progressively get better out of nowhere? It's only been progressively getting worse. So for us to just go about our days, we're, you know, thinking about their, our career or our next, you know, activities that we're going to do or, you know, our family get togethers, you know, we're on a sinking ship here. Water, we're taking on water like crazy here. And, you know, if we don't get our act together fast, you know, what happened in Nazi Germany is going to be like a picnic at Disney World. You know, and that's really why we're trying to do this here is to help people wake up, to help people think. And that's the key of all this for everybody listening to this. You know, this isn't just another audio. This is us here trying to help you think. It's not about me. I maybe I'm wrong. I'm 100 percent wrong, but I want to spur you to think. 
If I am wrong, then I challenge you, come to me with real information that challenges me so we can work this out and say, okay, you know, you brought information, you brought factual information, you have shown a different way. Let's discuss, but that takes thinking. So then I'll be happy. Great. I made you think. So this is what this is all about here. You know, Yeshua speaking here to this congregation and to the others, he's got something against each one and he gives a threat of removal or some sort of consequence if you don't get straight. So, I mean, if you're thinking everything's good, you got a problem, especially when Paul said, you know, you better examine yourself that you're in the faith, you know, and that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. You know, many yeah. people have already listened to some of the stuff that we have here and are already calling me a heretic because I already kicked their idol there on once saved, always saved. And, uh, yeah, I think a few others I kicked and I'm happy to do it. And, you know, if you guys listen again, I'm very well happy to do it. And if you would like to discuss with me, you know, we can go back and forth with the scriptures and discuss. But again, think, what is God doing here? Why is he? Why did he do all of this? Stuff? He didn't have to make everything. He didn't have to go through this turmoil. So that's the bottom line that we need to really understand of this. And we are no different than any of these congregations here. The key of overcoming that we get this white stone, as it's talking about, and I think you gave a good description at one point. Um, I'll let you actually bring that description with what you see there with the white stone and the new name. You were talking about it last time, I think. Oh, the well... I think we talked about how white represents purity, right? Mm -hmm. And it's it's through the tribulation, through the affliction of the world that that we're forced to choose on a daily basis. Do we want it our way or do we want it God's way? And right. God never promised us a life of comfort. You know, Jesus Jesus didn't say, "Come and follow me, so that you can be rich and wealthy and lots have lots of friends." and no worries in the world, you know, the Bible tells us to cast our worries on, on him because he cares for us because we're going to have worries. Mm -hmm. It's written to Christians. It's written to believers. Cast your cares upon the Lord because you're going to have things that you care about. Jesus said, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. I, I don't even know how many times throughout the scripture because people have a tendency to worry because there's stuff to worry about. So mm -hmm. it's not, it's not supposed to be this easy life. And we pick it up through these, um, through our challenges, but, and I, I have actually today I'm using the new American Bible for Catholics. So it's a little bit of a different translation, but it says, um, whoever has ears ought to hear what the spirit says to the churches, to the victor or overcomer. I shall give some of the hidden manna. I shall also give a white amulet. And that's the word translated stone. A white amulet upon which is inscribed a new name, which no one knows except the one who receives it. And when I was reading that last week, I was just thinking, what does it mean? What's the significance of, of being given a name that nobody else knows except for the one who receives it? And I just have this picture of, of this intimate relationship between the creator and and the people who are willing to press in to go to that next level where it's it's like it, it's not it, it's a it's a name it's like a secret that you share with the creator of the universe um and that's to me is is just amazing well can you look up over there the word for stone or amulet that you got to see what that is because i want to see if that's like yeah. uh there was the Petros that was, I think, the foundational stone. So I wonder if it's that same word or, or what, what it's trying to identify as. Or maybe it's the idea of us being stones, a part of the big stone. Let's see here. I'm flipping through on, uh, I'm on BibleHub.com using their interlinear. And what verse was that in? Verse verse uh, is it 17 yeah it looks like it's 12, uh, yeah two. so i will give to him the manna having been hidden and i will give to him stone white and on the stone a name 
new having been written, which no one has known. So the word stone is twice and it's Strong's 5586 in both times, which is a small, smooth stone, a pebble. So it's a pebble, a small stone. Does it give the Greek pronunciation? Um, face, um, it's P-S-A-Y-F-O-S, Saphos. Okay. All right, well, it's good to break into a small, smooth stone. It's referring to from the Greek, according to what you have there. Well, and then when you look in the, um, it, it comes from the root word, satlo, which means to pull, twitch, twang, play, or sing. It's used as I sing, I sing psalms, play on the stringed instrument. Um, could also have to do with casting a vote, like you're casting a stone, you're casting a vote. Yeah, I sort of see it as like something small, a part of something larger, which like in the essence of casting a vote, being a part of something. Casting a vote is the application of being a part of a whole. Um, so I'll give you the smooth stone. You know, again, this is all part of thinking. What we're doing here is active Bible study that everyone should be doing when they're reading you know, before they come to conclusions like we discussed earlier. So this was a good active, you know, showing how to do that, you know, we're thinking together, we're chewing together. And this is what we want those who are listening to really grasp, not interpretations or, you know, our ideas, but active ways of for them to find that. So this is, again, the teaching of how to fish. This is things that I do. These are things that you do. This is how Someone reading on their own can start gathering more information before they really conclude what they think that means. Yeah. So it's yeah. good. We're not, not trying to start Michiganism or. Mm -hmm. In case somebody doesn't say my name, last name is Michigan. That's why we say Michiganism. It's not some sort of <laughs> Zen name or whatever. I don't start right. Michiganism. I'm not starting any religion. The way of the little bear. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to continue reading uh, the Thyatra Church? Yeah. Um, I'm going to go back to the ESV because I just like that mm -hmm. better. Um, <clears throat> and to the angel of the church in Thyatra, write the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works your love and your faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, Thyatira who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you, I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Interesting. So there a lot of stuff already being addressed here. Here we got the, you know, the Son of God whose eyes are like a flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze. There we're hearing from Daniel. That's the description of the man that Daniel sees in uh, chapter 10. 
Um, he goes on and starts speaking about Jezebel. Jezebel's a character that we know in uh, the book of Kings who opposed Elijah. And uh, she had a very strong way about her. Uh, we can come back to on her understanding, but notice that even what she does, she does the same thing that the people teaching Balaam would do and giving people food sacrifice to idols and sexual immorality. And then it's going on and telling you what the consequence for those people following her and what's going to be with her style is going to be. And then the ones who hold steadfast. And it's, again, relating this aspect to in a way, some, somehow of the deep things of Satan or the Satan's throne room was in the previous congregation. So we see a lot of things here that are, you know, repetitive in certain ways, but in a different angle. Um, and what hit, what's going to be for the ones who can hold and be steadfast and go forward and those who are not doing so well, what's going to happen with them. And notice also what it keeps saying. He who has ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches or whatever. So does everybody have ear? I mean, we have both. Everybody has ears. So why would, would you bring that up? Obviously, it's a figurative understanding. So, and we can't assume that everybody's going to have the real understanding. So it's, it's really trying to press whoever's reading this that, you, you know, if you really have understanding, you'll get this. So, so it's important to really notice that being written and especially how many you know keeps being repeated because it's obvious that yeah. a lot of people are not going to get it well and and jesus yeshua said the same thing and many of the times when he was speaking throughout the gospels he has an ear to hear let him hear what the spirit is saying so mm -hmm. i mean here it's even in, in more detail with the with the words what the spirit is saying to the ecclesias or the churches the congregations the assemblies um very interesting and i agree the the implication is everybody's not going to hear it mm -hmm. it's all and what it's almost it? reminiscent of john three where it's or is it john one I'm, I'm getting they're they're blended together in my mind but talking about the spirit you can, the wind blows and you can't see where it's going or where it's come from mm -hmm. it's, it's almost that that same picture of of what god is doing Unless you're really tuned in, you're, you're not going to notice it. You're not going to see it. It's like we have a summing up of what's being said before by Yeshua and throughout. But this is not easy. You can't just come into this and you're going to understand what's going on. It shows that most people are going to be in the wrong is essentially what we're seeing here. And those who really are steadfast and determined and really seeking are the ones that have the potential for really understanding. And growing and having that white garment or the white stone, which is all referring to those who overcome, those who cut away the flesh, cut away their false idols, recognizing and giving that over. You know, even Yeshua was saying, you know, when they asked, how come you speak to us in parables? Because to you, it's been given the understanding. But to the people outside, we, I give them parables so that they can't see. They'll keep looking, but they will never see or hearing, and they will never understand. So over and over again, we see Yeshua purposely repeating a lot of these things too, just like you're saying. So again, everyone listening here, if you're getting offended, that's a real check because we're not here to try and get you to follow us. We're trying to help you. And if you really yeah. want God, here's a little simple tip. You have to take him his way, not yours. Not the way you like it, the way he really does it. And the way you know it really is, is by going all throughout the word of God, even into the Old Testament, that is not something that's over with. It's very much in effect, everything together and seeing where he's going with this. And only the true that persevere and press in are going to really have their eyes open to this. That's what our encouragement is. Yes, absolutely. So, some people's hearts are just going to to yearn like like the holy spirit is confirming um and and you're going to have your own like verses coming up in your heart that are confirmation of the things that are being said and some people are just going to be emotional and walk away and that's fine that's the same thing happened 
Um, and we're not in any way, please don't misconstrue. I'm not trying to compare us to the Messiah himself, but many people walked away when Jesus was teaching and he would turn around and look at his disciples on more than one occasion and say, you guys leaving too? And mm-hmm. Peter said, where else would we go? You're, you have the words of life. Um, so this is not the kingdom of heaven. While it's available to everybody, God knows not everybody wants it. Unfortunately, not everybody wants it. The church and our society, and, and again, you know, there, there's a balance. There has to be a balance. We want to present it. Paul said that he became all things to all men to try to win some. But we don't want to be like seeker friendly and water it down so much to try to attract people. You know, God, God did the opposite in, in Acts. He was striking people dead. This was after the resurrection. This was after Pentecost. God was striking people dead who were coming in for the wrong reasons, Ananias and Sapphira. So this is, this is not for everybody. Do we want everybody to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth? Yes, absolutely. That would be wonderful. Is that going to happen? No, it's not going to happen. As much as we would want that, as much as God wants that, it's not going to happen because we all have free will. And the vast majority of us, unfortunately, are going to choose what we want rather than what God wants. And that's correct. Otherwise, there wouldn't be any reason to keep repeating that there's only a remnant that are saved, a remnant, a remnant. There's prophecies of the remnant. There's and all spoken out through the New Testament that the remnant are the ones that are coming in. You have to know what a remnant is. A remnant is only a small portion of the whole. Is that truly going to be saved, which are known to the end? But people have to realize also, like you're saying, the message was never coercive to come in. It was just to be making people aware. Like when Yeshua sent them out, he said, go out into the, you know, into these towns and Tell them the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And if they receive you, let there be a blessing. If they don't, he didn't say beg them, please come on in. Okay, well, whatever you want, we'll let you come in. He he said, shake off your shoes, the dust, and walk on. And it says those people will pay worse price in the end when the time of judgment comes. Because the only thing an evangelist is supposed to do is let people know the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's it. If they don't want it, Okay, you can move on because the kingdom of God is precious. This is you're not doing God a favor. You know, yeah, God can have a donkey talk to you if he wants. He can do anything. It's not about people saving people. We don't save anybody. We're just message bearers to let us know, hey, I know him. I spent time. Do you want to know? If so, come on in and and I want to get you connected with him so you can hear from him, not follow me. You know, yep. So, yep. Well, it's good. It's good. Um, What do you think it means, Mike, in verse 24 to the rest of you who do not hold to this teaching, who uh, have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan to you? So this this remnant really within the church, I don't lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with an, a rod of iron, and with earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father. What, is it, what does it mean, the one who overcomes, he will I think it's give. relative. It looks relative to what it's saying before. I mean, There are those who hold to the teaching of Jezebel and understanding of what Jezebel is, uh, a character that was a strong female type that was overshadowing the authority of the male. The male was supposed to have the authority. Ahab was the king, but he deferred to his wife who who really wore the pants. Uh, You have a lot of that kind of a spirit going around. In churches, you know, and in the world, you know, a lot of men in marriages, oh, my wife, my wife does all this. My wife is the boss. My wife is, it's all meaning that the the man has, you know, done away with any kind of purpose. A man's supposed to have purpose and the woman's supposed to be a suitable helpmate that comes alongside with that. Instead, the woman is driving the car and the man's just sitting over there thinking about the, you know, the basketball game or the, 
or the football game and all that stuff, whatever. But the bottom line is he's saying in relative to verse 24, those of you who aren't following her, not getting your understandings through her, which in the kingdom, Jezebel operates as if she's in God, as if because she, she was. She was part of the people of Israel, which were of the people of God, but doing it the wrong way. And people were following Ahab and, and Jezebel as king and queen. So for those who are not really following that way, I mean, Elijah wasn't following that way and they wanted to kill Elijah. But for those who aren't following that, aren't adhering to her teachings, which is reflected as teachings on the deep things of Satan, you know, and you could look at all the aspects of how that control gives you twisted idol worship teachings that are, and again, it's going to be around the idea of God. It's going to, you, they're not going to go and say, Forget this God. Let's bow down to Satan because he's got some nice horns coming out of his head and, you know, a nice pitchfork in his hand. That's not what they're going to say. It's going to sound good. It's going to sound godly, but it's really carnal. It itches your ear. You like that, but it has no real power or fruit of the kingdom of God. You see the fruits going the other way. So for those like that prosperity gospel out there that whole name it and claim it thing <clears throat> which those should be even more obvious <laughs> well it, it 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 is but there's i mean there's truth there's a lot of truth in what they're saying again but they're they're leaving certain parts out right so you can but that's what deception's about right exactly they it's you, you we've got to have the whole picture and that's why learning to study the scriptures for ourselves is so fundamentally important Yes. Getting the truth from people and being around people who are not in it for themselves, who don't have an agenda, who you are not paying. Having been in paid pastoral ministry in the past, like there comes a time where you're like, oh, you kind of have to wrestle. And granted, I was a very young believer. Um, it, was, it was a different time, but I would, I also, my nature was conciliatory like i don't like confrontation but also knowing like you know looking at the budget of the of this nonprofit institution and thinking like if i call these people out they might leave and then we're not going to have money and having to wrestle now granted we all have our different challenges and things that, that we're dealing with but unfortunately a large portion of religion are have chosen the wrong path in that they 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 they've compromised thinking that this is what I have to do in order to keep this ministry going and God wants to use this ministry and it's it's just unfortunate and that is a act, an actual fundamental hardship that all churches have you know i mean as good as any church could possibly be it's always going to be limited because antichrist rules over all the church institutions by implementing those kind of practical difficulties. A church is generally a business. I mean, it's got to have money coming in because those lights don't go on by the Holy Spirit. I would love it, to have it. That typically, it's a nonprofit business with a wonderful mission, a wonderful vision, a wonderful mission, a nonprofit. Some of them are run very, very well. Some of them are run very, very poorly. And some of them, I think there, I think there are exceptions. I think that there are um, groups of, of people out there who are worshiping together, who maybe even have a building, maybe even have paid staff that are absolutely phenomenal and doing great things for the kingdom of God. But I think there are very, very few and far between. This is all true. There's all variations in that. But I do know that they will all be challenged at some way or another. And you're seeing it here. I mean, Revelation is showing you that I'm going to bring a challenge to you because nobody's going to be perfect. And he's going to go and start to bring up, here's what you're doing good, but here's where your struggle is now. I mean, here it's in words. I've seen it personally, and you have, and many people have, that something will occur in a congregation. And it's purposely allowed by God because it's like watching the leadership and everybody involved, including the congregants. How are you going to handle this? Are you going to come to me and learn how to work this out properly? Or are you going to take a carnal perspective using things that are in that are not correct? This could affect our income. 
or this is a this is against the way we have designed it. It's supposed to be like this. Or, you know, there's a whole slew of carnal perspectives that have, you know, it sounds good, like a, you know, a reasonable and according to a man's state, you know, the average man would think, but the truth of the matter is, God's like, you need to come to me. It's my kingdom, not yours. Not your building, not your kingdom. Yeah. Isn't isn't the exact same thing true on a personal level as well? Like, yes. you know, and, and we can think of, of times in our own lives where we've compromised because we've all, we've all fallen short. We've all made mistakes. We've all chosen the wrong thing at times. And it's not about being perfect. It's about recognizing our need for a savior and embracing him and saying, okay, as flawed as I am, I want to do it your way. Help me change me. Cause I don't want to do it your way. I want it. I, I like my sin. That's the problem. I need help. Help me change my heart. And he does that so graciously and, and with, with such love. I think of an example present day in the last couple of years, a lot of people were faced with unemployment if they didn't accept this vaccine. Mm-hmm. Now, some people got the vaccine because they felt like that's what they needed to do. Fine. That's good for them. Some people just did not want it. They felt like it was wrong. I know numerous people who some lost their jobs. I know of one guy who was, um, he had been employed for 28 years. He was two years away from retirement and they fired him because he refused to take the vaccine, but his conscience is clear. He did mm-hmm. what he was, he, he, he didn't take it and then regret it. I'm, and I know lots of people who just hung their head. I know some people, I know, I know people with doctorate degrees who sobbed tears of sorrow because they got that thing that they didn't want to get. But we were all faced and that was a, that's a really big and a very hard decision. I'm not going to tell anybody what they need to do or not do. I personally have my own convictions about it. And that's not really why we're here today, but we're all faced. And, and sometimes the decisions are, uh, should I buy the Snickers bar? Or should I not? And sometimes it's a really big thing that has a potential to really impact somebody's life in a very major way. The, the choice is, whether it's a personal level or an institutional level, like, a, like a, a church, which is a nonprofit, many times a nonprofit entity registered with the United States government, we're faced with a problem. Are we going to embrace God and bring him into this and see like, okay, what does God want us to do? Or are we just going to do what seems to make the most sense at the time? Well, and, and I agree with you. <clears throat> I mean you bring up a very powerful point here. You know, we read through different stories and let's bring up a one story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when in Babylon, where the king of Babylon says, here's a decree. I'm going to play the music and everyone's going to bow down and worship. And three guys say, "Uh, no, we're not going to do it. Well, then I'm going to throw you into that fire. You know, and obviously anybody else got thrown in. They got incinerated and they died. But these guys said, well, do what you got to do. But we're not going to be bowing down to the man-made worldly ways that you said that we have to follow. We believe that God is not bringing us that way. All right, then we're going to have to go and bring you heavy consequence. And they throw them into the fire and God was there with them in the fire and they weren't touched and that's the true faith now we talk about these stories all the time but when we see it in life uh, we zone out we got this is the right way to go it's a this this has nothing to do with the vaccines this has nothing to do with a man-made no 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 yes it does babylon is the world today babylon means confusion the king of babylon is satan satan is reflected in many ways in the old testament through different characters pharaoh King of Babylon, King of Tyre, or things like that. Um, we could go on and on. Bottom line is, <clears throat> you must understand that all of these things are reflections of our interaction in the world, and what these things mean. Babylon is confusion. We're in the we're in the land of confusion right now, and the world is imposing upon us through good intentions. That's what they all seem like, and that's what they use against you. That's why you have to know God and be able to think 
They want you to reason away in their good intentions why this is a right thing. Oh, you have you should get it because you're going to be helping of saving other people. You know, even if that was true, that the actual vaccine even helped us, it should not impose upon your decision making and conscience for yourself what other people think. So, I mean, again, we could go on with a lot of different things I could go on with you know, other figurative aspects. But again, these three guys saw a challenge to worship. You know, we look at, oh, this is not worshiping them versus God. It's not done that easily. Worship is what you're focused on. That's what worship means. And if you break down the idea of worship, it's where are you putting your full attention on? Where are you getting your, your influencing from and, and being led by? That's what worship is. It's not songs. Songs is an opportunity for collective people to focus on God together and allow the spirit that's in each of us to come out and be one. And now it's profound, like with the temple with Solomon, when he did everything exactly the right way, the manifestation of the spirit in the temple, which Paul says now we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the enabler of the Holy Spirit. So when we sing together, we're allowing, allowing a unison of our focusing, which we call worship, on God, our attention to fully be upon him. So we have to get those understandings correctly. So if we're now getting our, our coercion, where it's not even influence of like, hey, this would be a good idea to help other people. Now it's like, if you don't, you lose your job. That should have been a red flag to everybody that, oh, I think I'm really getting a challenge here from God. Who are you going to choose, the world's way or my way? And then you're going to say, oh, well, but this is my job. If I lose my job, I lose my tenure, or I'm not going to be able to feed my family. Well, God's going to say, didn't I say, seek first my kingdom, my righteousness? All, the, all these things will be added unto you. That the, you know, why do you worry about the, you know, what you'll eat or what you'll wear? Don't I, don't you know I know these things or do you not trust me? Well, but God, I trust you, but except in this one instance, I don't think you can do it. You can make the world, yeah. you can put breath in my lungs, but, you know, these guys are pretty powerful. They're going to take away my job and I won't have everything I want, my tenure, my pension. Yeah. And I, I am not making light, like I am, I am not saying I would have made a better decision than somebody who perhaps did what they felt like they shouldn't have done in that situation. There, there were people who worked their entire lives to get to this certain point. There, there were people who had, were going through job interviews for their, their dream job that they worked their entire life to get or their entire adult life to get. And they had to make a, a hard choice. You know, so I, <clears throat> I have no judgment. I have tons of compassion for people who were put in that situation. It's not easy. I'm not saying I would have passed that test. Just saying life is about choices. Life is about choices. Bring, I'm not here to bring judgment, but I am here to bring exposure. Paul had the same issue. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was above everybody. He was on his way to being a head honcho there. And then when he came to the knowledge of the Lord, he says, I consider it all a loss. And he yeah. became the dregs to, to, to everybody for the yeah. kingdom of God. So he understood the real purpose of existence and he gave up everything for it. He sold everything for the pearl of great price. He found the treasure, covered it up and went and got rid of everything else to go after the true treasure. I'm just bringing everything to what Yeshua is saying. So yeah. it's not here for me to tell you, you know, you're, you're judge you, you're bad or this or that, but you need to be aware of your decisions because when you stand before the lord and the books are going to be open or let's house how do we say it back in the day in the sports world let's go to the videotape what do you think you're going to say well but god you got to understand oh i do huh let's go to show you what i got to understand and go through all the history of all the people i've dealt with what's the what's the defense for somebody who realizes they've made some mistakes they realize they fall in short ah uh, well that's the beauty of the cross the cross is the beginning of repentance it starts with repentance which means recognition see it's not the sin or mistake that gets you 
It's the justifying it that gets you. When you come before God and admit it, you know what, Lord, I was wrong. And whatever it is, you know, even if it costs me my life, but the recognition still opens the heart that allows the spirit in and still allows for some sort of redemptiveness and transformation. That's the key of the kingdom of God. Recognition, I am wrong. I made a big mistake. I did, and calling it out, I, I, I idolized my job over you, Lord. I idolized my family over you, Lord. I idolized money over you, Lord, or, or whatever other side. I, my own self-worth over you, Lord, recognizing and giving that because, you know, lip service is, you know, anybody can give lip service. Actors do it all the time. They could say anything and make it look good. But it's when you really have that in your heart, that real change, and you detest what has been done and give that over to God, that's what he sees. And then he's there to reach his hands out. All right, I'll help you. That's what it means that he's no respecter of person. Any person with a true heart that's turning to him, doesn't matter what you did, he's going to come and bring you in. But people are not coming to God in humility. They're coming in their pride as if they're big shots. They're coming like the Pharisee who says, Thank you, Lord, for not making me like that guy over there, the tax collector mm -hmm. who couldn't even lift his head. They don't think they're doing that. They think they're the guy who's not lifting his head. So, <laughs> That's the so yeah, on that, right? If you're a Christian and <clears throat> I'm, speaking, I'm speaking to myself, if you're thinking that you have it figured out, you might be walking in some arrogance. If, if you're thinking that you serve better, that you know better, that you pray better, that God likes you more, that God is more pleased with your performance, you might, you might have an issue. Paul said he was chief of sinners. We need to be more like Paul and, and focus on our own sin and focus on loving other people. And when we start loving ourselves more than the, the people around us, we got We have a challenge. Or if I'm going to a specific church and I'm thinking, man, I'm so glad that I'm not going to that church over there where they're like all weird or they believe wrong. Or Uh-oh. <laughs> Pull out the mirror because it's all of us and it's subtle and it's constant. And it, that's why the scriptures say examine yourself. We have to daily, daily look at ourselves and make sure that we're not guilty of this, this pride, this arrogance of justifying ourselves. And to bring it back to like what you were just asking about the verse 24 going down to the end there, you know, he's saying for those who overcome, I will give them authority to rule over the nations with a rod of iron. You know, it's like when the Lord comes, he's going to rule with a rod of iron, you know, what kind of a person does it take to be able to have that kind of authorization? Is it just somebody saying a little prayer and then just going about their business and they do their job every day? And then, you know, okay, you know, okay, I have kids. Well, so do liberals, uh, you know, people who hate God, they have kids. What difference does that make in you? You know, a person with authority, think about it. For a person who's truly rising in the ranks in a credible company, you have all, you have shown that you deserve the higher level of authority or somebody who rises in the ranks in the military in true credibility and not political ways. Forget about that stuff. You've shown the capability to be able to lead and to properly handle situations on a grander and grander level. So how are you examining yourself to be qualified to be to this kind of a status? You know, Paul says when he was dealing with the Corinthians that, you know, you're taking each other's to court, you know, shouldn't you be able to judge situations? We're going to be judging angels. Are you qualified yeah. to judge an angel right now? No, <laughs> no, I'm not. Really? No, I do not feel qualified to judge the angels, at least not yet. But if that's what God has for us, he's going to equip us to do that. If we engage in the process, I believe, like, what do you what do you get out of that verse where it says to the one who overcomes, uh, he will give the morning star? Well, there is another thing of study where we should chew into that, see what 
you know, obviously the word there for star is aster. The word for morning, um, forgot what the word for morning was, but when I looked it up, it was breaking down the word to something breaking forth or the, you know, in the idea of the beginning light. You know, when we think of a morning star, we think of, I think there's a bright light, you know, one of the brightest lights that's left or something like that. But again, this is what study is about. I mean, you know, I'm not here to give people the fish. What we'd want to do is chew into these words and see where's it coming from and see other areas. It says it in a couple places, I believe. And we do see that it is reflected to people who are trained, authorized. They, they're the ones who get this. So the morning star, I mean, we think of morning, it's the breaking forth of light after the darkest, you know, it's darkest before the dawn. But those who are, you know, they'll be given the morning star. I guess it's maybe it's in the idea of those who truly overcome as the stars are as the descendants of Abraham. As we look up, you know, you will be one of the breaking forth ones who are who were able to hold fast through the darkness that are mm. the true people of the light that are coming forth. Again. These are ideas. I think the thing is to study together and see. Be somebody you'll you'll be like a light shining in the in the dark sky. Or even more so. I mean, mm -hmm. from what I see now, I mean, I believe we're in the darkest time before the dawn because I do believe we have a time coming. I don't know when that is. You know, could be months, could be a year, could be five years. But obviously the Lord is going to break forth as the dawn, you know, the breaking forth of that time. And those who can hold on to that are those who are like authorized, those who are truly of the light, who can hold on till that time period. Uh, it seems to be reflective in the passage in, in that kind of a way. Um, but again, you know, we have to really examine and see what a lot of these symbol symbolized ideas mean. And we have many th references to look at, not just breaking down the words, but looking at, we see different aspects of, you know, other areas of scripture that validate it. You know, that's what, that's a big factor. Context is another big factor, you know, is to read the whole passage, see who he's talking, who he's talking to, what's he talking about, you know, see where he's coming from, and then see certain concepts and look in other places in scripture that talk about those same things and try and bring those ideas. so it. They all match. You can't have an idea for the same exact thing in one spot, and it's a totally different thing in another spot. Um, so scripture helps scripture. Absolutely. We use the scripture to interpret the scripture. Uh, I think of Abraham, God telling Abraham his children would, would be like the stars in the night sky. Mm -hmm. um, clearly, it was a reference to the number of them, but it was also perhaps in, in, in prophecy, a lot of times stars can be the children of God. Not always. I mean, here in revelation, the, the stars in revelation one were the angels to the seven churches. So, um, but it, the key is to, to compare scripture to scripture and to be consistent and, and open, I think. And that brings more question of like, well, if it's saying it there in these other ways, then it's usually the descendants of God. Because I think a few places in Psalm, it talks about, talks it about the, the sons of God being as the, as the stars or whatever. Now, if we see it in Revelation and suddenly it's the angels, is do we take a totally different concept or is there a relativity there? Now, again, I'm not saying anything, but, you know, you have to put everything on the whiteboard and start seeing how we put the points on to draw the line, you know? You know, I mean, Yeshua even says, you know, when he says to the Sadducees, you know, you don't know, you don't understand the scriptures when they're talking about challenging about marriage in heaven. He says, don't you know, they're not going to, there's no marriage in heaven. They're going to be like the angels. So it's referring to the sons of God being like the angels. So, you know, again, I'm not trying to make any kind of thing because what I'm talking about now goes very deep and that's conversation. We have to use a lot more information on. But until we get the basics down, my whole thing is to get the foundation. So everyone's standing on solid ground so that we could properly interpret truth versus lies. Most people are not on solid ground. That's why they're not qualified to interpret anything. So we're trying to get people on the solid rock so that they can truly carefully 
pick out the truth amidst all the lies that are there. And from there, we can grow from the foundation and build the building up stronger and stronger, higher and higher, because we have a solid foundation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, brother, I, I love you. I love talking about this stuff with you. I'm grateful for you. Uh, we're finishing up Revelation chapter two right now. And um, on the next one, we're going to dive into the, the next little bit. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, guys, for tuning in. This has been Daily Bible Reading Study with Michael Mishkin on Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through the end of the chapter. Thank you guys for listening, and God bless.